All right, if everyone could come on in and find a, a place to grab a seat, that would be great. That was pretty exciting news about Judah. I just want to th thank everyone who's been praying and ask you to continue to pray. Uh, last week, uh, Kathy Maurer preached about bearing one another's burdens. This is an awesome example of a time we can help carry um, a friend of ours. Amen? All right, would you open in your Bibles to John chapter 4? We're going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. When you have just, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor on Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Just then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All right, so we're talking this month about fellowship. And um, in this portion of scripture, there are three attributes of Jesus that I see that helped him in fellowshipping with people. I want to talk to you about those three attributes this morning. We're called to follow Christ, so these are three areas that we're called to follow Christ in. The first one is Jesus was relational. Um, Jews normally did not relate to Samaritans, and the scripture said that Jesus had to go through Samaria, but the truth is that's not really accurate. The truth is Jews almost never went through Samaria. Jews would normally travel around Samaria to Peria and Decapolis, to get around Samaria without having to go through it. It would be like as if the Jews lived in Warsaw and the Samaritans lived in Perry and Jesus had to go from Warsaw to Mount Morris. 
if, Jew, if, if that was the case, what the Jews would do is they wouldn't go up 20A and go through Perry to get to Mount Morris. They would go to Pavilion and then to Geneseo and they'd hook all the way around. They would go the long way to get to Mount Morris so they didn't have to see the Samaritans. And we're called to be like Jesus in being relational. I know a lot of us have different personalities. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverted. But we need to stop using our personality as an excuse for not being relational. We're made in the image of God, and we're called to be relational. Sure, if you're introverted, those relationships might look a little different. Or if you're extroverted, those relationships might look different. But we're all called to be relational. Who has Jesus put in your life that you should be pursuing a relationship with? Have you been aggressively pursuing that relationship like Jesus did or just sitting back waiting on the other person? One of the things that Jesus did in an effort to be relational with this woman was he validated her humanity without highlighting her brokenness. People are broken. Newsflash, if some of you didn't realize this, you're probably broken. You guys have a relationship with Jesus and you're still broken. So people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, of course they're broken. That should come as no surprise to us. And Christians often make the mistake of trying to point out and deal with people's issues way too fast. Paul Johansson was the president of Elam Bible Institute when I attended there. And he used to say that when we're relating to someone, we're, when we're trying to be friends with someone, we're building a bridge of relationship with that person. And we should never bring up an issue with that person that that bridge is not strong enough to bear the weight of. So we shouldn't bring up an issue that's so heavy that it's going to break that relational bridge that we've been building. So if you haven't built a relationship with someone and invested relational equity with that person, then it's probably not your issue to bring up. Another pastor said, we need to let people belong before we expect them to behave. And we get it wrong sometimes. We expect people to behave a certain way before we'll let them belong. But that's not at all what Jesus did. What Jesus did was he let this woman belong, even though there wasn't anything in her life that was behaving in an appropriate way. I found a lot of times that if we take the time to build a relationship with someone without having a secret agenda of dealing with some issue, that a lot of times people will actually bring up the issue on their own with you when they feel safe enough. When they feel like there's been enough trust built in a relationship, a lot of times they'll bring up the issue and they'll say, hey, I've got this thing going on in my life. Could you help me with it? Or do you have any ideas of how I could get over this problem I have? A pastor told a story about this time that um, someone came up to his wife after the church service and he was finishing preaching and he could see uh, this woman approaching his wife from kind of a distance away, and she looked kind of agitated and upset. And he was like, oh boy, I wonder what she wants. So she went up to his wife, and the woman came to her and said, did you see that new woman at church? And the pastor's wife said, uh, there was lots of new women at church. I'm not sure exactly who you mean. And she said, well, she's been here for about three or four weeks. I'm sure you've seen her. And the pastor's wife said, there's lots of new women that have been here over the last three or four weeks. Like, you're going to have to be more specific. She said, I'm sure you've seen her. It's the woman with her hoochie mamas hanging out all over the place. <laughs> the pastor's wife kind of, like, stepped back and laughed a little bit, and she said, oh, yeah, I, I guess I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> and she said, uh, she said, well, what are you going to do about it? And the pastor's wife said, I'm not sure I'm going to do anything about it. I'm not sure that's my place to do anything about it. 
And the woman said, you have to do something about it. This woman looks like a prostitute. And the pastor's wife realized that this woman wasn't really going to take no for an answer, and she wasn't going to be happy until she told her that she would deal with it. So she said, how about this? I'll talk to my husband, and we'll see if there's anything we can do about it. And the woman said, okay, and kind of walked away a little frustrated. <clears throat> so then after church, the pastor and his wife went home, and the pastor said, so I saw that woman, like, coming up to you looking all upset. What was the deal? And she said, oh, well, she was upset because there's a new woman at church, and she had her hoochie mamas hanging out all over the place, and she, she wasn't happy about it. And the pastor kind of laughed, and he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, and then she wanted to know what we were going to do about it. And the pastor's like, I'm not sure that it's our place to do anything about it. And she said, well, she said we have to do something about it. The woman looks like a prostitute. So the pastor kind of put his head down and thought, it, thought about it for a little bit. And eventually he got a smirk on his face that kind of scared the, the pastor's wife because every time he gets this smirk, he does something crazy. So he said, I think, I think I know exactly what we should do about it. So about four months before that, the pastor had visited his brother's church while he was on vacation. And his, brother, his brother's church, they had this beautiful new digital sign out front. He thought it looked so nice. And he thought, you know what, like, we've got to get a new sign. Our church sign is horrible. There's paint peeling on it. It just looks awful. So he came back and he talked to his leadership team. He said, is there any way we can get a new sign? And so they were talking about whether or not they could make it happen. So after this conversation with his wife, the pastor went to work the next week. And he said, you know what, we're, we're getting a sign. We're doing it. So he called up the company that they had gotten a quote from. And he said, hey, we're ready to pull the trigger on this new sign. So they talked about some details. And then the pastor said, so when do you think you could put the sign in? He said, well, we're supposed to install a large sign this week, but the funding fell through for it, so that's kind of on hold, so we actually have an opening this week if you want. The pastor said, yeah, that'd be awesome. They said, okay, we'll start tomorrow. <coughs> so they came the next day, and uh, they tore out the old sign, and they poured a foundation for the new sign, and the day after that, they installed the new sign. The day after that, they got together with the church secretary, and uh, they taught her how to program the sign and how the software worked and how to sync her computer up with it. And the pastor's wife, she was, heading, she was headed home from running some errands. And they lived like three or four houses down from the church. So she was headed home, and she looked, and she could see the church sign in the distance. And she thought, man, that looks so nice. It's so much better than the old sign that was there. And as she got closer, she could see a big uh, church logo on the left-hand side for their church. And then the name of the church was across the top, and it looked so nice. She could see some writing under the sign and as she got closer she could read the writing and the writer writing said prostitutes always welcome <laughs> the pastor was confronting a religious spirit in his church he was confronting a religious spirit that's contrary to relationship when i when i heard this story it kind of reminded me of a time here at this church it was probably a couple years after i started working here at the church um, it was a while ago. <clears throat> Maybe some of you will remember this, this story. There was, I was leading worship, and there was a guy who got up to give a testimony. And uh, when he got up to give a testimony, he shared his testimony. And in his testimony, he cursed a couple times. And some people kind of, I, I had a good view of all of the, the congregation, and, you know. And some people were making some faces. Some people were laughing. Some people were like kind of looked offended by it and upset by it. And then the guy went on to describe what I'll call some extracurricular activity that was going on in his life and talk about how God had set him free from some of this stuff that was going on. 
And afterwards, there were some people who were um, kind of offended and bothered by it, and some people who had some problems with it, and probably a bunch of different people who were in leadership of the church got a lot of phone calls and emails and conversations about it. Um, and then, you know, as I was thinking about it after the fact, um, I could understand why people were upset and they were frustrated by that. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I want to be a part of a church where people curse when they give testimonies. And I don't mean that I want some of you that have been walking with God to start cursing in your testimonies. <laughs> what I mean is I want to be a part of a church that has people in it that don't know any better. People that feel like they they're feel safe enough that they can be honest about where they're at. We should have people in our church that look a lot different than some of you. I want to have people in our church that are struggling with addiction because that's who Jesus came for. I want to have people in our church that when they get up to give a testimony, they don't know any better but to curse when they're so excited about what God's doing in their life. I want to have people that are a part of our church that haven't even started the process of getting sanctified and cleaned up. They're just like curious about God and they hear about the freedom he can bring in their life and they're excited. Because the gospel is for everyone. Jesus himself, the way that he said it was, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick because the sick need a doctor. Those who are well don't need a doctor. So not only does Jesus show up in this woman's life at the right place, at the right time, but he starts the conversation. He says, will you give me a drink? Some people are a lot better at starting and maintaining conversations than others. Some of us, we really struggle at it. We're kind of awkward and not good at it. Um, we actually had a, a class in the fall called Just Walk Across the Room. It was a class about sharing your faith with people around you, but a lot of it just had to do with learning how to have conversations and how to talk to people and how to be open with people and not be awkward. A lot of times when we start conversations with people um, or try to enter into a deeper conversation with people, we can start to think all kinds of crazy stuff in our head. You guys know what I'm talking about? We can think like, this person doesn't want to talk to me. This person thinks I'm weird. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They're not interested in, in talking to me right now. If you're about to enter into a relationship with someone or enter into a deeper place of relationship with someone, the enemy will whisper anything he can to stop you from doing that. Because when you do that, you're following Jesus in entering into relationship and being relational. When Jesus asked, will you give me a drink? He was being relatable. Jesus was being relatable. He started a conversation with this woman about water. They were at a well. What else would they talk about? If everyone at your work is into NASCAR, then I believe that God's plan for your life would be for you to start practicing left-hand turns. I believe God's plan for your life would be for you to learn everything you can about NASCAR so that you can relate to the people around you and start a conversation and eventually share the message of hope with them. Jesus was talking to this woman about the one thing they had in common. If all your neighbors are into fishing, then guess what? I think if Jesus lived in your house, he'd buy a fishing pole and he'd buy some worms. And he'd head down to the river and he'd find some old guy who looked like he had been on the bank for 40 years. And he would say, teach me everything that you know so that he could relate to the people around him. When I see Jesus approaching this woman at the well, it's almost as if he was grasping at straws. Like, what could I possibly relate to this woman about? Like, I'm a Jew, she's a Samaritan, so we're definitely not supposed to talk to each other. 
she's a woman, I'm a man, and in this culture, men and women didn't really talk in public, so he's not supposed to talk to her. She doesn't look like she's into carpentry, and that's kind of what Jesus was into, so he can't really talk to her about woodworking. She definitely doesn't look religious, so he's not going to talk to her about scripture. So he's like, what on earth could I talk to her about? And then he realizes, the well. It's the well. I can talk to her about the water, because the water is the thing that we have in common. What is the bridge that you can use to build relationship with the people around you? We have to become a people that can turn any commonality that we find it with someone into a conversation. As my grandfather was uh, getting near the end of his life, I think he knew that his days were numbered, and he was wanting to capitalize on every moment that he could to share the gospel with people around him. So he was always looking for an opportunity. It didn't matter if it was a doctor he was visiting for medical advice or someone at a grocery store that was bagging their groceries or a waitress at a restaurant. It was like if you watched my grandfather talk to someone, it was like you could see the gears in his head turning. Like he was looking for the thing that he could use, the commonality, something that he could use to start a conversation with someone and look for an opportunity to share the message of hope with them. My grandfather was old, and he didn't have a lot in common with young people. I mean, he grew up in a completely different time. He grew up in a different country. Uh, he grew up in a time where you couldn't do anything like you can now. Like, technology was nothing like it is now. He grew up in a completely different time. And if my grandfather felt like he was at a loss to connect with people, like there was nothing he had in common with them, there's a question he would oftentimes ask them. He would say, when's the last time you talked to God? I've heard him ask probably 100 people that question. Um, I would say probably the most common response that I heard people say is not in a long time. My grandfather used to say, well, I just talked to him, and he said he misses you. He'd like to talk to you more often. Because my grandfather knew that deep inside of all of us, even if someone said they were an atheist and they didn't, didn't believe there was a God and didn't want anything to do with it, we're made in the image of God. All of us are. So deep inside of us, we have a desire for a relationship with our creator, even if we don't know it. So we, so we knew that oftentimes people have prayed to God, even if they wouldn't want to admit it. He was looking for commonality. When I was at Bible college, um, I went to Elam Bible Institute. And in your junior year, you have to do a two-month internship at this place called NISUM. It's New York School of Urban Ministry. And it's a, a place in New York, the ministry in New York City. So they took our class. Our class was like about 100 kids. And they took us and they divided us up into teams. And they put us on buses and they sent us to NYSEM in New York City. And we got there and then for two months, every day, we'd run all over the city doing all kinds of um, different ministry. My particular team was a musical team. So they like kind of set up our team with a bunch of musicians and people who could lead worship. So we were leading worship in different churches almost every day of the week. Um, and because of that, because our team was like a very specific team that had specific gifting and ability, we missed out on doing some of the different ministries that other people got to do. But they wanted to make sure that everyone got the chance to do homeless ministry. So it got to the last couple weeks of our time at NISUM, and it was our turn to do homeless ministry. And the way that, that they do homeless ministry at NISUM is they have everyone who's going out 
come down to the cafeteria at the building that we're staying at in our dorms at about 11 o'clock at night. And we put together a ton of bagged meals. We put together hundreds of bagged meals. And then at about 12 or 1, we would head out and they would <coughs> put us in a 15-passenger van with all these f the food. We'd go out in groups of two and they would just drop us off on street corners in New York City in places where homeless people tend to congregate. And we'd go find these homeless people and we'd see if they were hungry and needed food and we'd look for opportunities to talk to them. So we had done that for two nights in a row and it had been going well and it was fun. It was a good opportunity. And then it got to the third night and the person I was supposed to go out with was sick. So I was going out by myself. They, asked, they said I could stay back if I wanted or I could go out by myself. So I said, I'll go out by myself. So they took, us, took me to this place in New York City. And as you could imagine, a lot of times homeless people in a city are congregated in a, in a kind of interesting environment. I mean, it's not exact. It's kind of a rough environment. So I got out of the 15-passenger van. I'm carrying this cardboard box with like 50 or 100 bagged meals. And I kind of like looked around and I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish there was someone else here tonight. Um, but there wasn't. So I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to go do this. So I start walking down the street, and I'm handing out bag lunches to, pe to people that are hungry and needed it. And the most people didn't really want to talk too much. They were hungry, but they, they didn't really want to have much conversation. And as I came up to this one corner, there was a guy, and I could hear him from a distance, but I didn't really know what he was saying. As I got closer, I realized he was standing on this box, and he was shouting scriptures at people. He sounded very, very angry. Um, I would say he was handing out tracts, but he was extremely unsuccessful. He was trying to hand out tracts, but nobody wanted to take them from the angry, shouting man. He was yelling things like, you're going to burn in a lake, lake of fire, and you're an unholy generation, and this kind of stuff. And it was very appealing to the people around him, I'm sure. Um, so I kind of walked by him, and uh, I went down, and I, f I found this, this group of people, and so I was giving them some food. And then I saw this guy who was like laying against this building. It was a really cool building. It was this huge, huge, beautiful building. And it had, as a foundation for the building, it had these massive stones. I mean, these things must have been cut out of like th the biggest boulders. The stones were like 10 or 12 feet wide and like 8 feet tall. Just massive like blocks on the bottom of this, this uh, building. And it was on the south side of the building. And it was October and it was getting cold. So people would get on the south side of the building and it, those stones would heat up in the sun during the day and then it would hold the heat at night. So people would lay against them to try and sleep and stay warm. So I found this guy laying against this stone and he kind of rolled over and so I said, hey, are you hungry? And he said, yeah, I actually am. I said, well, I have some food. Would you like some? And he said, sure. And then I said, uh, would you like some company while you eat? And he kind of looked up at me like I was crazy and he was like, really? And I said, sure, I've got some time if you want to hang out. He's like, okay. So I sat down next to him, and I asked him his story. And he shared with me about his life. Um, he had had a really crazy life. He was, had been in the military, and he had been all over the world. He'd been in all 50 states. Um, he was an architect, and uh, he actually designed bridges that were being built around the country. And then he hurt his back really bad, and he had to get surgery. And when he got surgery, he got addicted to the pain medicine after the surgery. And that kind of started a, a drug addiction in his life that led to him laying in New York City uh, up against a building, looking at a bridge that was very similar to the bridges that he used to de design. It's kind of a crazy story. 
So he kind of finished his story, and then he said, and here I am, laying here in New York City, trying to get a good night's sleep, and I can't even get a good night's sleep because that guy's down there screaming. He said, could you hear what he was saying, or do you know what he was talking about? And I said, no, I didn't really, I didn't really understand what he was saying. And he said, well, that's, en that's enough about me. What about you? How come you're here? What's your story? So I got to share with him my story. I got to share with him the message of the gospel, how Jesus had impacted my life. I got to the end of the story, and I said, would you like to give your life to Christ? And he said, I think I would, but I'm not sure. He said, no one's ever really explained it to me in that way before. I've never, I've heard little parts of that, but I never heard the story of Jesus like that and how he came to save mankind. I didn't know that. He said, I think I'd like to, but I want to sleep on it. I don't like to make fast decisions, and I need to be sure about this decision that I'm going to make. I said, okay, I understand. I said, could I pray for you? He said, sure. So I prayed for him, and just about every time I see a picture of New York City, I think of this man, and I pray for him. While I was just finishing up praying for him, the van that I was riding out in, they rolled up and they beeped, so I, I told them I had to go, and I hopped up and went and got in the van. I went back to the dorm where we were staying. I laid in my bed, and I couldn't help but contrast the approach of this man who was standing on a box screaming at people and painted a, a picture of a very angry, mad God and the approach that we took where we were sitting down with people, feeding them, meeting their physical needs, talking to them because they were lonely. And then he ended up asking me to share this message of hope with him. He opened the door to me doing it. This guy who was standing on a box screaming, he was completely unrelatable to the people around him. They had no clue what he was talking about. It didn't make sense. They didn't like him. He actually became a hindrance to them hearing the message of the gospel, where the approach that we took opened the door to them actually inviting us to share our story with them. So Jesus was relational, and he was relatable, and lastly, Jesus was relevant. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Jesus loves to flip the script on people. He loves to turn the corner in a conversation. He moves from speaking about common things to talking about the more deep, relevant things in a person's life. He started out talking to this woman about water, and then eventually he kind of starts to flip the script on her when he talks to her about this living water. And she's like, living water? Like, that sounds good. I would like living water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well every time I get thirsty. And then Jesus really flips the script on her when he says, okay, go get your husband, and then I'll give you some living water. And the woman's like, well, I don't have a husband. And I don't know if you've ever asked someone a question, and it was like they didn't really want to answer the question. Maybe they gave you a half-truth or... Maybe they didn't lie, but they certainly were not forthcoming with information. That's exactly what's going on here. She's trying to squirm out of the question, but Jesus doesn't let her squirm out of the question. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you're hooking up with right now, he's not even your husband. Five husbands is a lot. Five divorces, five failed marriages. I don't know about you, but anyone who's experienced any type of broken relationship in their life, whether it be a, a broken marriage, a divorce, whether it be a, a fiancé relationship that gets broken off, whether it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend relationship, a friend that you lose because you guys got in a fight about or disagreed about something, or a family member that you're estranged from, broken relationships, they come with pain, they come with 
baggage. They come with a lot of baggage sometimes. I can't, I can't tell you with certainty what five divorces, five broken marriages, I can't tell you with certainty what the baggage is that comes with that. The reason I can't tell you is because I don't even know anyone who's been divorced five times. I'm sure there's people who have, but I don't know anyone personally who has been. We live in a day today where divorce is, is common. It's not even a big deal. It's almost even expected or anticipated. Lots of people get divorced. It's kind of the norm. Back in the day that this woman was in this, this story, divorce was not normal at all. It was very uncommon. There was like a serious stigma attached to it. People who, people who got divorced, they were clothed in shame. So I can't even tell you with certainty what kind of baggage. I could speculate, but I don't even know all the baggage that this woman's been carrying. I could imagine that she's insecure. I could imagine she has fears and doubts and worries. I'm sure she's hurting. And here Jesus comes into a region he doesn't even belong in. He's talking to a woman when he shouldn't be talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan when he shouldn't be talking to a, a Samaritan. He presses pack past the awkward initial surface conversation, and he flips the script on this woman to speak to the broken places in her heart in an attempt to bring her back into fellowship with the Father. The place that this woman desperately needed to meet with Jesus is the place that Jesus showed up to meet her. I can't say for sure, but I could make a pretty good guess and say that there's probably nothing more relevant in this woman's life than the pain that she's carrying from these five broken marriages. Five times her heart was crushed. Five times her dreams were destroyed. I don't think most girls go out there and say, I dream of being divorced five times. This girl's dreams had been crushed. She was hurting. Jesus isn't very good at just keeping a conversation casual. Like, you know, they say when you meet someone or when you go on a first date, like there's some things you shouldn't talk about. You shouldn't talk about politics or money or religion. And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't play that game. I don't, I don't play by those rules. I want to speak to the relevant thing that's going on in that person's heart. The place where your soul has been injured, the place where pain lives, is the place that Jesus shows up in people's lives. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus doesn't just leave you alone? Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus knows what's relevant in your life? He knows about the weight that you've been carrying the burden that you've been under. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus doesn't let you squirm out of his questions? And some of you like to squirm out of Jesus' questions. I know you do, because you like to squirm out of my questions. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't let you squirm out of his questions. He presses further. He sees past the surface of you acting like you have it all together. And he ministers to your place of brokenness, your place of greatest need, because Jesus knows what's relevant in our lives. I want to invite the HELPS team to come up this morning. Maybe as I've been sharing this morning, you realize that in one of these attributes of Jesus that I talked about, 
It's a place that you really need to step out in following Jesus. Maybe you need to step out in following Jesus and being relational. Maybe you're someone who's more introverted and you kind of struggle with relationship. You struggle with reaching out to people. And this morning you'd say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus and being relational. It's not something I'm good at, but I want to grow. I want to change in that area of my life. Or maybe you struggle with being relatable. Maybe the, like the being in the world but not of the world thing is, is kind of difficult for you. You're not sure how to do it. And you've kind of taken like a separatist approach to being a Christian. You've just like separated yourself from the world. Like that's bad and I can't have anything to do with that. But you're realizing this morning like those people are broken and they need Jesus. That's, those are the very people who Jesus died for. Maybe you see some stuff in your heart like that woman who had a problem with the woman who was dressed in a different way than her in her church. And you see some of that stuff in your own heart. And you're like, you know what? I don't want to be that way. Like, I, wanna, I don't want to become a hurdle to someone hearing the gospel. I want to do everything I can to encourage someone to hear the gospel. Or maybe you struggle with being relevant. Maybe you're really good at the surface conversation. Maybe you're really good at just interacting with people and acting like everything is good and just leaving it at that. But you see how Jesus presses past the surface to the real issue of people's hearts. And you say, you know what? I want Jesus to be able to use me in that way. Like, I, be, I don't want to just stay on the surface with everyone. I don't want to just talk about the weather with every person I see when I know they're broken inside. I want to talk about the deeper things. If any of those things spoke to you this morning and you say, you know what? I want to grow in that area. I want to follow Jesus in that area. Then I want to just invite you to come up this morning and get prayer from anyone on the helps team. Or maybe there's something else going on in your life. Uh, we have this helps team that we, um, that we use once a, at least once a month. And uh, the H stands for healing. The E stands for encounter. L for life, like you've just got stuff going on in your life and you want someone to stand with you and pray with you. Uh, P for prophecy. You're in a place where you're like, I need direction in my life and I need God to speak a word to me. And then S is for salvation. If you're in a place where you want to commit your life to Christ this morning, you can go there. So I'm just going to open up the altar for all of you this morning. I want to invite you to come and respond in your heart and ask the Lord to meet with you. And if you have to leave, have a blessed week, and we're so glad that you came this morning. Thanks.